What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the show. Today, I have with me Joelle Samantha. Joelle has her master's in exercise science. She's the head coach and CEO of Level 10 Coaching, and she's also an ex-health and PE teacher gone full-time fitness coach. I absolutely love this chat with Joelle. We dive deep into her history with orthorexia, PCOS, amenorrhea, as well as discuss how those things shaped her coaching style over the years. Um, most of our discussion is about amenorrhea and how so many seemingly fit women end up losing their periods. Like what is happening? You know, what are the signs and symptoms that precede this so that you can know that this is happening? How do you know if you're trending in the wrong direction? How do you get your period back if it's gone? Uh, and so that's a really wonderful conversation, something I've dealt with clients, uh, personally with clients over the years. And I think it's something that all women and men and coaches and everywhere in between should listen to. The second half of our discussion is about stress, gut health, and whether or not intermittent fasting is okay for women. And a little sneak peek into that discussion is that most of the intermittent fasting research is done on men. And the truth is, it's just probable that women's bodies respond slightly differently to periods of fasting, periods of scarcity than men do. And so I think over the next coming years, we're going to learn a lot more about that. But that's a really good discussion towards the end of the podcast. I recommend if that's interesting to you guys, um, Hang, hang tight and, and stick it out for the remainder of the first 35 minutes or so. Uh, you guys will get a lot out of that intermittent fasting discussion, a lot of nuance, a lot of context, and uh, overall, really, really great chat. So enough of me. Let's get into the episode. Joelle, how's it going? Nice to have you on here. What is up? Thanks for having me. Yeah, super excited. Um, whenever somebody comes on, I always like to kind of maybe just give you or maybe give the, the people listening an idea into like why I wanted to have you on. Um, there's just an endless supply of people that you could have on your podcast. So like, why do I pick certain people? And and when it comes to you, I feel like there's two sides to fitness accounts. When you go on Instagram, it's like very people like who, you know, are, you can tell based on their content and just their rhetoric that they're working with clients in the trenches. And they have a lot of that, like real people experience. And then you have another flip side of it where you can tell it's very information heavy and people are like posting, you know, pub, a lot of PubMed, a lot of research uh, reviews, and that's cool and very information heavy and that's awesome. But there are few accounts that I think, and I few people that I think show that they are in both situations where they are in the trenches working with real people. But at the same time, like if I ask you for a, a, a study to support something, you're like, okay, great, I, I got you. Like, and so that I think that you do that really, really well. And that's not something that's easy to do. I think it's easy to be in the trenches and be like, oh, no, no, no. it's cool personal experience. This is what I, what happens with my clients. And then it's really easy to sit on the other side and have, you know, you can tell very simply when people just simply don't work with real people. So I think you do that really well. That's why I wanted to have you on. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think, yeah, there's definitely, um, I guess that that was kind of a learned skill. I think over the years, um, I went to school for teaching by default. I am just a teacher at heart. Um, and then I also did my master's in exercise science. So I definitely have that knack for wanting to see what the research says, but I've also been in the coaching space for eight, nine years. So, uh, you know, we can't also discredit, um, anecdotal evidence and real client experience. So there's definitely a way to pair, right? The evidence, but we have to remember that, you know, when someone says they're an evidence-based coach, okay, well, what does that mean? Evidence means you're not just looking at science. It also means we're looking at clients experience, um, and pulling evidence from all different sources. So I appreciate that, uh, little intro there. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, so, really briefly for people who don't know you. And if they don't know you, then they sure. absolutely should give us a little backstory, how you, how you got into the industry, how you got to where you are today. Um, and anything else you think is relevant. Sure. So there's a long version to this and a short version version. So I'm going to give you the semi brief version in that I was an athlete growing up, uh, was a cross country runner. That was probably my first sort of introduction into consistent exercise was running. And I think a lot of people quite honestly start out their fitness industry in that way. Um, but my dad was also a bodybuilder when I was growing up. So no I way. watched him compete. Yeah. So I watched him compete and that was always really cool for me to just kind of watch and witness. And I just, I grew up in a healthy household. My parents went to the gym every morning before work. I was dropped off in like little daycare at the gym, you know, as a kid. Um, and so that was just, you know, I was accustomed to that for sure. And when I went to college, I stopped running cross country, kept my same terrible high school eating habits, um, and gained 30 pounds my freshman year. And so that was kind of like a, Oh, 
Interesting. So X, there's a connection between weight gain and exercise. Got it. Okay. So that was kind of like my first recognition of, all right. So this running thing, I was more active, burning more calories. Got it. Stopped running. Cool. Gaining weight makes sense. All right, cool. Let's get fit, right? Let's get fit again. Let's lose, let's lose the 30 pounds I just gained because like none of my clothes are fitting. And truly that's where sort of my initial I would say journey into the weight room and weight loss journey sort of stemmed from was initially like, Hey, I noticed my clothes aren't really fitting. So, and I haven't really been running the way I used to. And I've always been a runner. Let me get back into like my exercise routine. Um, and so I'd go home on college breaks and whatnot. And my dad would bring me to the gym and I'd lift with him. And so that was kind of my re you know, reintroduction to strength training. Um, and eventually my freshman nope, hold on. When I went back for my, that was after my freshman year. So I went back for my sophomore year, started losing all that weight, um, just by making healthier choices, that weight started to come off, come off, come off. And then it became this like, well, what do you do when you lose all the weight? You just like want to keep losing all the weight. And then there's a fear of weight regain. And this was, you know, like, I feel like I'm going to make myself sound old here, but this was back in like 2011. So we're talking 10 ish years ago, um, from at least the time we're recording this. So 10 ish years ago, no one was talking about reverse diets. No one was talking about maintenance. Like you lost weight and then that like, there was no after there was no diet after the diet, or at least no one that I knew was talking about it. Or, you know, there was no one I was learning that from at the time I was 18, 19 years old and, uh, you know, just wanting to be in shape and be a healthy kid. Um, so I kind of swung to the other end of the spectrum, which then became very disordered, um, eating disorder journey of sort of orthorexia, which is essentially anorexia, but, uh, a sort of subcategory of that that's categorized by, uh, clean eating and over-exercising. So I didn't have intentions. Um, and this is what's super interesting. So at that time, I can, I can see a lot more in hindsight now, but at the time I didn't think, you know, I'm being unhealthy. I thought I was doing healthy things. I'm like, I'm eating every three hours. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm avoiding sugar. I'm avoiding fat. I'm avoiding sauces, seasonings, eggs, yolks, everything. Like that's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm avoiding carbs. That's what I'm supposed Like I was so convinced that I was so healthy and everyone else had it wrong. Um, and eventually, you know, it took years to come out of that process. I eventually started working with a coach who introduced me to macro tracking, and that drastically changed my relationship with food um, for the better because it helped me realize like, wait, I could fit a bowl of cereal into my macros and that's not just going to like make me gain weight. Um, so that was a big shift in sort of my relationship with food and whatnot. So the long and the short of it is there was an eating disorder, uh, for a few years in there through college, um, through getting my degrees. And when I finished, uh, college with my bachelor's in health ed and phys ed, um, I decided that I was just not done with school. And I took one undergrad, um, exercise science class and everyone failed it. And I got an A in it. And I was like, I love this. This is for me. I need more of this. Um, so that's when I went to go do my master's in exercise science finished that up, um, got a teaching job right out of college, right out of school, right out of college, um, taught health and PE and sports medicine and personal training in a high school for four years, um, while running my coaching business on the side. So along all of this <laughs> college, everything, I started slowly seeing, um, clients because really I was just posting my own health and fitness journey on Instagram and, um, people started to reach out and ask for advice and whatnot. And I, um, had the education to back it and began coaching. And certainly the way I coached 10 years ago is a lot different than how I coach now. Um, but I was kind of growing my business on the side of college and teaching until after four years of teaching, I left teaching to take coaching full time. That wasn't that brief, but hopefully that caught mm -hmm. you up to speed. <laughs> That's good. That's a medium version. That's good. I appreciate it. There's a lot of, actually a couple of things I wrote down as you were talking. It's, uh, it's like when you are trying to do or avoid all of the things that you hear are bad, you're avoiding sugar, you're avoiding sauces and seasonings and, and fat. And like, 
if you do that in 2021, like if you avoid everything that you hear is bad, like you're left with nothing. Like there's just nothing yeah. left for you. Uh, no. You know, sugar is bad, salt is bad, saturated fat is bad. Uh, you know, processed food is bad. GMOs are bad. Non-organics bad. You're fucking yeah. gonna be a breatharian by the time everything. you're done with that conversation. <laughs> like, um, and yeah. then two other things was one was like when you were kind of uh, unraveling or working on escaping some of that orthorexis, uh, orthorexia, some of those orthorexic tendencies. Did you feel like, I don't know, uh, macro tracking or the introduction to fucking energy balance was like kind of like an exposure therapy and kind of like taught, actually taught you that what you knew wasn't actually everything. Like it's like actively including some of those yeah. unclean foods that you would normally be avoiding uh, when you're, you know, deep in that orthorexic state. Uh, was it, was it helpful? It was truly mind-blowing at the time. I remember being like, I remember not even believing at first that that was possible. Like, no, 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 you have it all wrong. If that's how it was done, like, wouldn't we all know this? Like, wouldn't we all know what macros were? And wouldn't we all know calories in calories out? Like, again, this was like 10 or so years ago. This was the very beginning of like IIFYM, if it fits your macros, macro tracking my fitness pal. Um, so at the time I remember feeling like there's like this, this would be huge. This would change my relationship with food forever for the better. And this would allow me to teach clients that they can eat their favorite foods too. And they don't have to cut everything out. It was truthfully like a monumental shift in health and fitness industry, at least uh, that I experienced. Did you find yourself swinging to the opposite end of the spectrum at some points and being mm -hmm. like, Oh, cool. Like I can, I can do the pop tart and whey shake diet. Um, and you know, it, and then almost imprinting that upon your clients of like, okay, I learned this thing. C calories matter. You can fit in wherever you want. And then taking that almost, you know, you become, you, be, you can become neurotic and obsessive in one thing and then, uh, find yeah. out something that makes that not true. And then all of a sudden get yourself caught up in the, in opposite extreme. Like, did that happen at all? So I would say generally, I still kept a fairly good balance, but I think once I became more and more comfortable with eating something like, you know, in eating disorder recovery, they would call something like a pop tart, a fear food. Like that was a food I feared because out of fear of weight gain, right. Fear of that pop tart was going to magically make me fat. And when I learned that this pop tart could no longer make me fat, right. And that a caloric surplus would be needed. Um, you know, I, I would didn't say I necessarily swung the other way, but it was a really good, I think, healthy process of overcoming those fear foods one at a time, because I realized I could just fit them into my calories for the day. I think where the pendulum probably did swing the other way is that, you know, you're training, you're sometimes trading one obsession for just a new obsession. So my obsession before was clean eating, and then you're switching to another disordered behavior, which I don't think macro tracking in and of itself is disordered, but there are people that, that the behavior of tracking or the restrictiveness or the tediousness that tracking can entail some people become obsessive with that. And I did at one point definitely swing obsessed with the numbers where like I had to nail my macros perfectly. I still didn't want to go out to eat, even though I knew I could fit things into my macros from a restaurant. I didn't know if the, if the restaurant was using oil or butter, even if I asked them not to, I could tell it would come out with some oil on it. And then I'd be neurotic about like, well, I don't know exactly how they cooked this or exactly what was in it, you know, and that's, not the idea behind macro tracking, right? We call macro tracking typically flexible dieting. So when you are driving yourself nuts over the numbers, like how flexible is that really? And um, um, this is not where I wanted to go with our chat for today, but I want to stay on it for a second because I think you and I both know that there are so many people listening who just resonate with what you just said because maybe they just discovered macro tracking and all of a sudden it's like they become enlightened, but at the same time, it creates new roadblocks and new restrictions for them, like going out to eat, like eating with their yeah. friends. So like, was there something, was there some point where you hit that wall and bounced back to a way more like uh, manageable psychologically place um, where you are now? Was there something that hit you and was like, I, for me, for me, not to commandeer the, the conversation there and answer it for you, but like, for me, it's like, at some point, I just had a moment where I felt just ridiculous about it. And like, it was like 90 year old me is laughing at me for being worried about 
trading in an experience with my friend for the ability mm. to put something on a food scale. And I just like got not embarrassed, yeah. but I just was like, I shook myself at some point. Like, was there a moment or something or just over time that you bounced back to a more middle ground? Yeah. So honestly, and, and we, I'm sure, you know, we'll get into part of this, but, um, a few years ago, I started really struggling with my hormones, um, and missing menstrual cycles and the level of stress that I was putting on my body and the way my body was responding to that stress and the weight gain that came from that stress. Um, and so I would say it really wasn't until then that my relationship with macro tracking changed because I recognized like, Hey, by me tracking macros, this has kind of taught me to ignore my hunger cues, ignore my satiety cues, because now I'm only constantly striving for a number that I'm not as in tune with my body about, am I hungry? Am I full? Am I eating just to eat? Because a number says I should. Um, and so when I got to this really kind of rock bottom place with, um, my hormones and PCOS and just all these other things going on, thyroid health, hair falling out, just, we could get into all of that. Um, but I got to a point where I was like, I need, I need to just start listening to my body. Like for so long, some of those symptoms were happening and I was just ignoring them because macro tracking, macro tracking calories in calories out was the only way. And then I began to learn that there's a lot more to this. Yes. Calories in calories out energy balance. Yes. It's there. It's in the literature. It's in the science. It all makes sense. You know, thermodynamics, thermogenesis, it's, it, it's all there. Right. But there's another component of our health and macro tracking doesn't equal health and calories in calories out doesn't equal health. Um, so it really, I would say wasn't until I started having a new health battle that my relationship with macro tracking changed. Cause I was like, this is not the end all be all anymore, at least for me. Um, and I think the other thing was that, uh, you know, there were kind of, um, I would say phases throughout my years of macro tracking where I'd realize that I was being a little crazy, you know, that like you had that, that level of self-awareness after a while where you're like, wait, so I'm not going out to dinner with my husband on date night because I don't have enough macros. Like what? Um, and so whenever I would recognize that behavior, I'd actually take off from tracking for a few days and be like, like almost like to prove to yourself, you're like, I'm fine. I can manage for a few days. Um, but if, if, if stopping for a few days made me really nervous, that's when I was like, that's a pretty good sign. You need to take off for a little bit. Like this is getting too much in your head. Yep. And I think that we would not be the only two people, because this is something similarly that happened to me. I had clinically low testosterone for a long time because I was yep. obsessed with being, you know, sub 7% body fat 24 seven. Yeah. And lean. It, yeah. And it was only until it was only until something was clinically wrong with me that I saw that there was uh, a side of health that was outside of body comp and body comp sure has a large yeah. indirect inputs in health and totally does. Um, but if taken to the nth degree and, and, a lot of people do. And it's going to be the main topic for what we're going to talk about today is like losing your period. Like let's cut to the chase, like, yeah. like yeah. irregular menstrual cycle, irregular period, losing your period. Uh, like you had mentioned some of the things that were happening to you, losing your period, thyroid, uh, tanking, losing yeah. your hair. Like what was your experience yeah. with that? What did you do about oh, it? Oh man. So this is a process. Um, so I'll, I'll certainly walk you through all this step-by-step, step, but yeah, I mean, I was on birth control pills for, for almost 10 years, um, from the time I was 18 to 27, you know, roughly, um, maybe 26, maybe it was eight, eight years. Um, and so I came off the pill in what year are we in now? Gosh, it's 2021. So I came off in maybe 2018, June of 2018. And, um, everything felt normal when I came off. I really went off, not because I felt like I had any specific symptoms. I went off because I, I was married and I was like, Hey, my husband and I are probably going to want to start a family in another year or so. Like, let me come off now. I've heard horror stories about people not getting their cycles back or having trouble getting pregnant. Like that would just be my luck. Let me go off just to make sure everything's fine. Well, lo and behold, it was my luck. So, um, you know, I went off and, uh, you know, expected or hoped that, you know, a month or two would go by and I'd get a cycle back. No, three months go by, no cycle, six months go by, no cycle, nine months go by, no cycle. And I'm like, 
what is happening? Um, a year goes by no cycle, um, 12 months, 16 months, no cycle. Finally got it back at 18 months. Um, but in that 18 months, that was probably the hardest period of my life. Uh, that I was not in a good headspace. Like for the first time in my life, I struggled with depression. Um, and I also struggled with uncontrollable weight gain and I'm a coach in the industry and it does not feel good to have a somewhat large following, be a coach in the industry and be gaining weight uncontrollably and not know what the heck is wrong with you. Um, and so that was really, really hard, like from a body image standpoint, but also feeling like, obviously like, like I'm small potatoes, but there's a, there's a sense of you that feels like in some sense, I'm in the public eye and I'm expected to show up and look a certain way. Um, and here I am sitting 30, 40 pounds heavier than I'm used to, um, with no change in my macros. And that's also part of when I took a step back from macro tracking, I had, and this is really how I knew something was wrong with my hormones is it wasn't just the fact that I didn't get my cycle back. It's, I didn't change anything about how much I was eating. I was still tracking macros at this time. And I just started gaining weight and I'm like, this is weird. Like maybe I've been tracking something wrong. Like maybe I was scanning the wrong serving size of something like totally trying to take the blame of it myself. And so it's like five pounds up, 10 pounds up, 15 pounds up. And now I'm like, my leggings are, are getting uncomfortable. Like, you know, if your leggings aren't fitting it, like there's a problem, those things are stretchy. So if my leggings are feeling tight, like there's a problem here. So I think at, after six months of no period, that's when I went to, uh, um, in OBGYN and was like, Hey, what's going on here? I feel like I should have gotten a cycle back by now. I've been gaining weight. You know, can you tell me anything? Can you run some tests? And at this point I really had no knowledge of hormones at all. Like I knew I should be getting a period. That was pretty much the extent of it. Like did not know anything about estrogen and progesterone and testosterone other than like testosterone's a male hormone mm, estrogen exactly. and progesterone are female Sixth hormones. Like, health. Yeah. That, yes. Right. And, and I taught high school health. So like I knew as much as what I was teaching my students pretty much, um, you know, a menstrual cycle, typically 28 days, like very basic women's health. Um, and so uh, this OBGYN was like, just give it some time. Nothing's wrong. They ran some blood work. Everything looked normal. And I'm like, this just doesn't make sense. How could everything be normal, but whatever. So a few more months go by. I still have no cycle. I'm still gaining weight uncontrollably. And so I'm doing now everything in my power to try and lose this weight, like loads of cardio, putting myself in a deficit, making calories lower, calories lower, calories lower, and nothing is moving. Like if anything, I'm gaining more every time I make a calorie cut. And I'm just like, what is happening? Like I've, I've been coaching for years. I've never seen this on a client. This has never happened to myself. What is happening here? And, uh, and so at some point I went to a different OBGYN a few months later, I'm like, okay, that person maybe didn't know what they were talking about, or maybe my hormones are different now. It's another, you know, call it six months later or three months later, whatever it was. So I went to a new endo, she ran some lab work and she's like, you have PCOS. And I'm like, what the heck is PCOS? I don't even know what that means. Um, And she was basically like, you're going to have a really hard time getting pregnant. You should come back to see me when you want to get pregnant. And this is why you've gained all the weight and weight loss is just going to be really hard for you from now on. And, um, uh, what we do to treat this is we give you birth control. And I was like, great. That is not helpful. Counterproductive. Thanks. Thanks for this info. You just, you just scared me and told me I might not be fertile, might not be able to have kids come back to you and see a specialist when I want to have kids. Um, you don't know what I'm going to get a period back and you want me to go back on birth control. When I, at this point, I'm convinced like all of this is in like happening because because of of me being on the pill for so long, right. Suppressing my hormones for so long and now getting this like issue of re-regulating. So I was like, well, why would I go back on birth control when I like, I went off so I could one get one day get pregnant, like with, you know, and have a family with my husband, this just doesn't make sense. 
So I was really like against going back on birth control. I know that plenty of women go on birth control and it, you know, can be helpful for their symptoms. And it's helpful for your symptoms because you're shutting off ovulation again. You're essentially shutting down your ovaries again. You're not producing your own hormones. So of course the symptoms subside because your hardware shut off essentially. Um, so the other thing that she suggested was to go on to metformin and metformin for anyone listening that may not know is a typically used in diabetes, um, to treat insulin resistance, um, and to help stabilize blood sugars for some people and insulin resistance or dysregulated blood sugar is a common symptom of PCOS. So typically PCOS, um, you have high testosterone, Usually there's an off LH to FSH ratio. Um, and then there's also usually a, a pocket of insulin resistance for a lot of people. And so I just uh, immediately, like the wheels started turning of like, wait, so you want to put me on diabetes medication. I'm 26 years old at the time. I'm like, I'm 26. I work out multiple days per week. I eat super healthy. Like and you want to put me on diabetes medication? Like just nothing seemed right to me about that appointment. I was like, the birth control doesn't make sense. The metformin doesn't make sense. Like I'd rather try to figure out, like, can you tell me why I'm insulin resistant? Like, can you tell me why my testosterone is high? And I really was just not getting the answers that I wanted from conventional medicine. And this is not to bash conventional medicine at all. Like we all need conventional medicine. If I break an arm, I'm not going to call a naturopath. Like I'm going to go to the damn ER. Um, but in this situation, I just found like, I was not really getting the answers that I was looking for. And I went to another like one or two OBGYN and endocrinologist after that, and still was just like not feeling heard. Um, and so, uh, the world of Instagram, brought me to someone who's now like a very, very dear friend of mine. Her name is Taylor, uh, Taylor Sappington. She's awesome. She's an integrative health practitioner. Um, started her career out as a clinical dietitian, went the integrative route, stopped working in a, you know, hospital setting. She was like, I don't want to treat patient patients anymore. Like I want to help prevent these issues from happening and whatnot. Um, so I ended up working with her and she blew my mind. And this was like the very start of my sort of health and and hormone related journey, um, in the sense of, you know, okay, let's put macro tracking to the side for a minute and learn a little bit more about hormones and gut health and whatnot. And so I booked a consult call with her just to kind of feel things out, see if she thought she could help me. I sent her over labs on labs on labs that I had. Um, and she got on this call with me and she starts listing my symptoms. Like I didn't tell her anything. All I sent was lab work. And she's like, I bet you're struggling with this, 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 this. And I'm like, how do you know that? She's like, I, I could see it on your labs. Like, no wonder this is connected to this. This is connected to this. This is and if you've ever seen a Dutch test, like those things are oh, yeah. super like, I've done a Dutch involved. Test. Yeah. Involved and extensive. And so she's going through my Dutch, like talking about the liver detoxification and, you know, alpha five reductase and you know, everything. And I'm just like, tell me, fix me how much I need to pay you yeah, and right, I will exactly. do it. Yeah. Like fix me. I trust you with my life after this phone call. Um, and she like, I will swear by that woman forever. She changed my life. So shameless plug for Taylor, but, um, she was awesome. And it was, I worked with her for months and she was, uh, she was also who really opened my eyes up to things being very interconnected. And, and she was like convinced I had a gut issue. And I was like, my stomach's fine. I have a hormone issue. And she's like, Oh honey, those are so connected. Like everything is, you know, so much of our health stems from our gut, our immune health, um, our hormone health. There's a lot, you know, based in our gut. So the first thing she wanted to do with me was like work on my gut health. And up until that point, I was like, I don't like, I think my stomach's fine. Like, yeah. You're like, I, do I need a probiotic? Like I'm good. Yeah. Like I, I've, <laughs> I've taken a probiotic before. I think I get enough fiber. Like that was my extent of gut health. So Anyway, worked with her for a few months. Um, and eventually I would say maybe eight or nine months into working with her, my cycles came back. Um, and that was a year and a half post pill. Um, and ultimately nine. So I had no cycle at all on the pill, which some people experience. Some people get a withdrawal bleed. Um, if you ever, if you're listening to this, I guess, or you've heard someone say like, oh, I have periods on the pill. So I guess I'm fine. You're not getting a period on the pill. That's called a withdrawal bleed. It's not an actual period because you're not actually ovulating. That's how birth control works. If you were ovulating, you'd still be able to get pregnant. So the pill shuts down ovulation. If you're not ovulating, 
you're not actually getting a real period. So you might be getting a withdrawal bleed, which technically is still better than having no bleed. In my opinion, um, I had no bleed for 10 years. Now that was probably related to the fact that I was underweight, had an eating disorder thrown in there, um, as well, and then came off and, uh, also was under a lot of stress all around. So when we talk about just to kind of circle back, Jordan, I know long tangents here, story of my life. Um, but to circle back about that missing period, anytime that we have a loss of a cycle, whether it's an irregular cycle that is like every other month, every few months or no cycles at all, straight up amenorrhea, we're talking about stress. This is stress induced, no matter how you slice it. And I think what's really important for women, especially to recognize, and I mean, you had this own experience with your testosterone as well, that sex hormones are what I like to call a luxury. The body doesn't need sex hormones to live. It just needs them to reproduce. So if the body's trying to conserve energy, reproduction is not first on the list. It's like, Hey, let's make sure your organs are functioning. Let's make sure that the body's getting what it's need, that digestion is working well. It's not, Hey, let's make sure we're putting you in a prime position to make a baby and your environment is conducive to that. So the female body, and and I don't want to exclude men here, but the female body, in my opinion, is especially especially receptive to any sort of stress or food scarcity and men's bodies are too, but you can live at a lower body fat percentage than females can. Um, like just when we talk about actual essential fat, males and females have something called essential fat, female essential fat is between like 10 and 12, meaning the minimum you need, um, you know, the minimum you could keep on your body and still be relatively healthful, healthy, is 10 to 12%. And that's still very low for females. Males could be at three to 4% body fat. And I mean, probably not feel good, but like you'd still be alive. Okay. Right. You'd still be alive. Mm -hmm. So females, because we are of childbearing abilities, we carry more body fat. That's normal. That's just, that's fact. It's biology. Um, so where was I going with this? Mm-hmm. Um, so when the body is feeling like it's under a ton of stress, we have to remember that because the body is very perceptive or sensitive to that stress, it's saying, Hey, and I'm going to get real scientific here for a minute. Hey, if, if your environment doesn't feel like one, we should bring a baby into, we're going to shut down the hardware because yeah, I don't think this is going to be a good time for you. I don't know if the baby is going to survive. We don't know if you're going to survive. Um, so that's, I always laugh when I give that example. Cause I'm like, this is what your body is saying when like, this is, doesn't sound super, um, sciencey, but this is essentially what it comes down to, right. Is that the body's feeling, Hey, if you're not feeding me enough, i.e. dieting, if you are not sleeping enough, for whatever reason, not recovering well, under recovering, under eating, you know, chronic exercise, um, chronic deficits, chronic dieting. Like these are massive stressors for the body and the body saying, we don't want you to be able to get pregnant because we don't even know if, if that baby would survive in this environment. Um, and so literally this is, this is when females are losing their cycles, it's because stress is too high. So when we talk about these stressors, dieting is a stressor, being overweight is a stressor by the other right hand. So, you know, I know that some women, they hear like dieting is a stressor and then they're afraid to diet, you know, but if you're, let's say very overweight, we have to remember like that overweightness or that obesity could be a, um, you know, a stressor on the body as well. So in some cases, dieting alleviates the stressor. So I don't love to like blanketly say dieting is always a stressor, uh, but under eating typically is a stressor, especially if it's chronic over exercising under recovering, uh, not enough sleep. So I think people hear stress and they're like, I'm not really that stressed though. Like work is fine. Everything's fine. Um, but we forget that stress is not just like our relationships or sitting in traffic. Stress is also what we're putting in our body, the amount of sleep that we're getting nutrient deficiencies, our gut health, how well we're digesting. So 
that was a very long tangent about no, it's great. I think <laughs> that you menstrual cycles and sex hormones. But hopefully, I covered your question. Yeah, that's perfect. Here. Totally, there's so much, so many places to go from here. But I think that one of the things I want to highlight and just kind of say again is this this idea that stress isn't one thing. It comes from so many inputs, and when there are times in your life where certain levers are being pulled super hard, uh, like all of your stress goes into the same bucket. It all goes into the same cup. And if you're training super hard and not sleeping well and not having a lot of food and maybe not a lot of carbohydrates to support high intensity exercise, like all of those stressors, you get in a fight with your husband, you're going through a divorce, like whatever, all those stressors are going to the same bucket yeah. and your body. Yes. We are on this earth to, to, to reproduce. Sure. That's biologically our yeah. main function, but I promise you your self, your body's self-preservation out prioritizes your ability to reproduce. Oh, yeah. Like you having a child is a luxury. And I love that you said that totally got goosebumps. Yeah. I think, I think of it in the exact same way. It is a luxury. It's, it's a surplus to requirements. It's something that can only be yeah. done in a safe place. And I think a lot of people are familiar with this idea of like, okay, if I get super lean and you had mentioned just essential levels of body fat for women are higher. And I think one thing I wanted to kind of reiterate there is like, when you hear body fat percentages thrown around on Instagram, I need to be this body fat. It's mostly people talking about men. So if you're a woman and listening, like Th those numbers do not apply to you in most cases, unless specified for women, like you're not going to be sub 10% body fat. Like that is just not, uh, not yeah. available to you in a healthful way. I was, I was anorexic. I was anorexic still at 10% body fat yeah, and couldn't sure. get lower than that. Right. I, I tried. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> not for want of trying. I, I tell yeah. you, I went for it. Yeah. Yes. And so yeah. I think, I think that like, okay, so, so again, circling back to kind of why I brought you on. I think we talked a lot about like physiologically what's happening and, and a very scientific way of explaining the fact that your body just says, fuck, <laughs> you, fuck you, you guys yeah, both are not going to no survive things. this. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. But like, yeah. what are some of the practical inputs when you see practically working with clients in the trenches, like somebody's uh, either expressing that they're having irregular periods or straight up amenorrhea, like what are some of the most common singular inputs? And then obviously I think we recognize and, and kind of did a good job uh, uh, putting it into context that it's not one thing that many times it's multiple yeah. stressors, but what are some of those yeah. big, uh, main points that a lot of people are like, okay, this is probably one of the big things we want to look at. Yep. So I would say caloric intake is always going to be a huge one. If someone is in a vast state of overeating, we need to manage that. If someone's in a vast state of under eating, we need to manage that. I would say most women, not everyone, but most women that at least come to level 10, and are looking for coaching and are looking to get back their period, most of them are under eating. Most women, truthfully, we probably reverse diet 98% of clients that come to us, like start them on a reverse oh, diet yeah. because most women are come to a, coming to us drastically under eating. So the first thing we would do in that situation is start reverse dieting them. We want to get them out of a deficit we want to get them fed. Um, if they have any lab work, we're able to look over that lab work. Sometimes it's helpful to see any, uh, nutrient deficiencies, something like, um, the pill for instance, can deplete our B vitamins, our zinc our selenium. So replacing some of those lost vitamins and minerals, um, could be helpful in terms of hormone health. Um, uh, but ultimately it's a stress reduction process. So where can we reduce stress? How are we sleeping? That's something that we need to look at, you know, beyond caloric intake, what's our sleep like? Are we getting enough sleep? Um, what is that sleep routine? What is our nighttime wind down routine? Um, are we getting up at four in the morning and then training fasted? That was me for years and years and years and years. So in my own journey of bringing down stress, it wasn't just like, Oh, let me meditate. It was like, maybe stop getting up at four in the morning and sleep in that extra two hours and work out later in the day when I'm not going to stick my cortisol through the roof at 4 a.m. fasted training and then rushing to work and then rushing back home. And then it was just so, you know, sleep is a huge one. Um, nutrient, you know, supplementing nutrient deficiencies if needed. And this is something that you'll know a little bit more based on some lab work. Um, I don't like to blindly prescribe any supplements or recommend any supplements without seeing certain in labs. Um, but the other thing to keep in mind here is also training. That's a huge one, especially for our clients. Um, you know, we always ask on their questionnaires, like how many days a week do you want to be working out? How long do you want your workouts to be crazy? And I have the same questions. Like, it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Right. 
And so sometimes you have those go-getter clients and these are usually the ones missing their cycles too. They're like, I'll do anything you tell me. I'll work out twice a day, two hours a day, seven days a week. And I'm like, this is why you have no cycle. So in those cases, that's when we're like, okay, we need to titrate down either training frequency or training intensity. A lot of times we need to bring down cardio instead of any high intensity cardio, like let's walk, let's get some steps in. Let's keep it low intensity. Let's go from six days a week to five days a week or six days a week to four days a week or five to three days a week. You know, let's bring down that intensity. Again, that's another way to manage that stress. So I would say looking at caloric intake, looking at sleep, looking at training frequency and intensity. And then lastly, I would say two kind of non-conventional things that people don't always look at are gut health and blood sugar. These are two things that can really tell you a lot about what is happening stress-wise in the body. Dysregulated blood sugar is a result of stress. Um, so when we see any sort of like high blood glucose, blood glucose, or even, you know, um, snippets of like low blood glucose, um, that could be a big, a big indicator of stress and managing stress. And so then you're kind of back to the drawing board on food choices. Hey, let's make sure that we're, you know, spreading things out throughout the day. We're managing blood sugar. We're, you know, getting a steady supply of energy and glucose and insulin and not just having these big, crazy spikes. And, you know, and that's where, again, you know, loops back into the macro tracking thing. We're like, well, I know we could fit Skittles into our macros, but is that going to be best for our blood sugar in this situation? Is that going to place more stress on the body? Um, so that's where, again, this kind of ties back into like macros and, and energy balance is important, but there's, there's some layers underneath that as well. Um, and then in regards to gut health, I, you know, we briefly talked about this before, but so much of our health originates in our gut. Um, and if you are not, I mean, especially women, like if you are not pooping at least once daily, we got to have a chat. Um, when we do not see women having daily bowel movements, one, this is an issue, not just for our gut health, um, but two, this becomes an issue for our hormone health because we actually detox excess estrogen via bowel movements. And so if you are not detoxing, right. And I don't mean detox, like drink a skinny tea. I'm talking about detox. Like when we pee and we poop, like these are bodies, you know, our natural way of detoxification, same with exhaling, we exhale CO2. This is part of our detox process. And so if we are not having daily bowel movements, that estrogen is recirculating, you know, in the body and can wreak some havoc there. Um, it's sometimes when we see people complain about symptoms of estrogen dominance or, um, you know, what we're talking about there is estrogen being higher, um, or dominant relative to our progesterone levels. So that's always kind of like a, um, individual cases, but anyway, um, we need to be pooping daily. So, uh, something that will also make sure that clients with missing or irregular cycles are doing things like that, um, is getting enough fiber. Um, you know, fiber is like basic level gut health, just get enough fiber. Um, I don't like to see anyone really be below 25 to 30 grams of fiber. Some clients can, you know, withstand an upper limit, like 50, 60 grams. I have other clients who like, if they go above 40, they have digestive upset. So everyone kind of has their like Goldilocks sweet spot of how much is good for them, um, or feels best for them digestively. Um, uh, but looking at gut health, making sure that we're not rushing through meals. I'm telling you, this makes such a massive difference to actually sit down and have a peaceful meal and not be on your phone and not be in front of a TV, but to, and not to rush through and not standing and eating and doing like sit down and have a meal and just chill during that meal. I cannot tell you what a massive difference in digestive health that makes. Um, so yeah, digestive health, blood sugar, calorie intake, training intensity and sleep would probably be my like five core things to look at in a missing menstrual cycle case. Yeah, for sure. And just, I want to, we're going to close it on digestive health and good poops here, but, um, <laughs> just eating is supposed to be a parasympathetic, parasympathetic activity. It's yeah. supposed to be a rest of digest. It's shouldn't supposed be to be stressful. A, shouldn't be a stressful thing. And, and uh, depending on, uh, you know, where this falls in the hierarchy of importance here, but like you probably don't want to be 
doing something supposed to be relaxing and parasympathetic in a massively sympathetic high cortisol state. And so totally agree with that. I think that's definitely an underrated one. Plus there's also knock on benefits of just chilling out and getting off your phone and relaxing and, you know, enjoying the meal, being present, recognizing hunger and satiety cues. I mean, there's so many benefits from doing that in and of itself, but just to kind of like, if you're looking at, I think it's important to most important thing that has been said, the whole podcast is like, you're losing of your period or regular period uh, from, a, from a dysregulation standpoint, like it's a stress, it's a stress uh, uh, situation. It's yeah. a, and it's not just a, it's not just less stress. It's also more counter stress. Like it's something it's like, okay, we also yes. we need to be doing less of some things and more of other things. And it isn't just, okay, decrease, stress, yeah. decrease, stress, do less of this, do less of this. It's, it's more right. sleep. Um, it's potentially, you know, more carbohydrates or whatever it is. It's not just it's not just reducing the things that go into the glass. It's right. also it's doing adding things actively things back that, in. Yeah, they're sure. adding things that actively pour out that that glass and keep your levels at a relative state. Right. And I also think that just stress in general isn't something that across the board is a negative thing. It's a thing that's in balance. I mean, yes. stress in and of itself is essential for adaptations and for growth and yeah. you know, hormetic responses to stretch stress, which make you, you know make adaptations in a positive way, depending on what right. you know, modality we're looking at. Like stress is a good thing. You need stress. You work out yeah. for stress. Like the whole point of working out is to create some yeah. form of inflammation and adaptation and break down muscle. And right. so looking at stress is something that's like, okay, just all negative inflammation, all negative, not the case. It's about finding that balance. Right. I like to call this drains and charges. So, um, when I have clients that are struggling with stress or their biofeedback is struggling, I actually ask them to make a list of all their drains and their charges. So if you think about a battery, like the plus side and the minus side, right? the drains and charges of what, you know, you have going on in your life. And typically what ends up happening when I ask a client to do this is their drains list is like monumentally long and their charge list is like, working out. And I'm like, you do realize that's a drain too, right? Like other side, other yeah, side, yeah. I mean, right. both sides. Yeah, that one's yeah. like a, a little Venn diagram, right? That yeah, one's yeah, in like sure. the both category because mentally it can be a lot of, you know, stress relief for people, but it is a physiological and physical stressor. I, I for think people, you, so. I think that you just really quick on that is I think if, if, if there's a lot of this quote of like, okay, I work out for therapy. It's like, if your life is oh, a fucking shit show that. and you are stressed out like crazy, I promise you, more training is not therapy. Like it, you yes. enjoy it. I'm not shitting on it. I love yep. training. It is a part of, like you said, it's a Venn diagram. It's part of it yes. that is psychologically really a good thing. Keeps me leveled. It's, it allows me to, you know, get out some energy and anger, whatever it is or whatever. It's just, it's a happy place for me. I like it, but it is very much not the answer to your very stressful yeah. life. Yeah. I, I truthfully, I've grown to hate the saying like the gym is my therapy exercise is my therapy. No therapy is therapy. The gym is not a mental health counselor. And truthfully, like I'm a daughter of a therapist. We have therapists at level 10 that our clients have access to our clients have access to mental health services through their health and fitness coaching. Um, because we saw the massive need for a, a something to be, to bridge this gap in the industry of mental health and physical health. And Every client at level 10 works out, but somehow people were still struggling with anxiety and still struggling with stress and still struggling with boundaries. And I'm like, Hmm, you don't say the gym isn't actually therapy. Hmm. So I get that line of thinking, right. That it's, it could be a stress relief for some people, but we have to remember like in terms of actual mental health and struggling with your mental health, while it might be an outlet for you. It's not, it's not going to fix things. Therapy is, is therapy, not the gym. Um, so anyway, that's a, a huge piece. I'm glad that you brought that up. And then yeah, just the drains and charges. I mean, if you're listening to this and you're like, Hmm, I wonder if I'm recovering enough, eating enough, if my biofeedback is suffering, like make a list of your drains and charges, your drains are the things that are are draining you, right? The, uh, you know, the work meetings or the getting up early or the workout or, um, the argument that you're in with your best friend or the traffic that you're sitting in. Those the are 500 drains. milligrams of caffeine a day, <laughs> right? Maybe it's consuming social media as a drain for you. Um, and then what about our charges? Um, what's relighting you up. Like, are you doing meditation? Probably not. Are you doing something that's a slow, relaxing style of exercise like yoga, as opposed to just heavy lifting and powerlifting and bodybuilding? Um, what else are we doing that can charge us? And usually these, these lists of drains and charges are so skewed towards the drain side being so much heavier. Um, so Jordan brought up a really good point. 
about you can't just uh, lessen the drains. You got to add in some charges. For sure. For sure. Awesome. And we're, we're coming up on an hour. I want to be respectful of your time, but I would be yeah. remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about intermittent fasting for women. Cause I think sure. the, right now there's a, I think it's very, the, the fitness industry swings on pendulum. And I think there was a lot of uh, the no more way. literature that people try and uh, finagle to make it look like intermittent fasting is super special, has all these benefits. The more the pendulum swings in the other direction where you have people who come out and rightfully say that it's just a strategy for a potential indirect caloric restriction or, or caloric yes. management. And that's great and all, but like when it comes to the differences between men and women, I think you had mentioned that there are differences in how men and women are going to respond stress-wise, yes. stress response-wise, endocrine-wise to longer periods of time without eating. And right now in the state of the literature, like most of, if not almost all of the research for intermittent fasting is done either in a clinical setting where the reduction in body weight, the, the overall calorie reduction probably offsets some of these potentially negative stress responses, but it's almost all done in men. And is there like, is there something yeah, going on here? And, and, and I'm going to yeah. layer a couple of questions and I'm going to let you go. It's like, is there potentially something different about how men and women are responding to longer periods of fasting? And how do you take that Right now I say potential just because it's not, there's not this overload of, of really solid literature on it, but there's a lot of mechanistic and good arguments for there being a difference. Like, do you take that? And how do you lay that over into your clients who come to you really want to do it? Um, women in this circumstance. Right. Yeah. So like you said, Jordan, you brought up a really good point that the research on intermittent fasting is not really done on women. So it does kind of stink in that sense where like, we obviously want to pre present evidence-based information, but when we don't have actual literature showing us like, oh, this is bad for females, right? Um, then we have to kind of use our noggins to say, okay, what logically do we know is happening when food scarcity is present? What do we know is logically happening when the female body perceives that there's no food around? And so we have to remember that our biological needs and our biological hardwiring of our brains and our reproductive systems are living in a much different world now, right? This modern world is not wh what our hardware was based off of. So when I think of intermittent fasting, we know that this is long periods of fasting and yeah, there are people that say, oh, it's just another, you know, mechanism to dieting. And, you know, whether you have all of your calories in an eight hour window versus a 16 hour window or a 12 hour window, whatever, it doesn't matter whatnot. There's a few different layers to this for females specifically. I don't love intermittent fasting. I intermittent fasted for years. I also had no period for years. Were they connected? I don't know because there was a lot of different things going on. I was on the pill when I was doing intermittent fasting. I didn't get a period, but like, was that because of the fasting? Was that because something else? I also struggled with an eating disorder at the time. So like, was my missing period related to intermittent fasting? Was it related to the eating disorder? You know, like, so for my own self, I can't say, oh, intermittent fasting made me lose my period because there's a lot of different layers to it. Um, but I have heard countless women come to us and say, I did love, I did intermittent fasting and I lost my cycle. Um, and so we have a lot of anecdotal evidence that this is happening to women. Um, and plenty of women do intermittent fasting and don't lose a cycle. I personally think it's just risky for a woman, for a woman to do, especially a woman of childbearing age that hopes to have a family and you know, the future or the next few years or whatever. Um, I have just seen over and over again, and we know in, in terms of differences between male and female, we know that the female body is much more sensitive to how much, how often and what we eat. And so from a scarcity standpoint, your body knows, sorry, your body only senses that it hasn't eaten in 16 hours, 20 hours, whatever it is. It doesn't know that there's a grocery store down the street. It doesn't know that your fridge and your pantry is doesn't know that this is voluntary. Right. It doesn't know you're doing this on purpose. Your brain, your, your body doesn't know this. So that's where I'm talking about like the, the old hardware, right. Being in this modern day body, it's, it doesn't know. It doesn't know that you're choosing intentionally not to eat or that your fridge is full or whatever else. It just perceives you're not being fed. Well, do you think that a body that's not being fed 
wants to put you in prime baby making position. No, it's going to say, Ooh, there's, we're sensing food scarcity. Something must be happening. Our environment is not safe. Let's shut it down. Let's lower estrogen. Let's lower progesterone. Let's make sure that our pituitary is not telling our ovaries to ovulate so that we don't ovulate and risk getting pregnant and being a, and bringing a baby into this unsafe environment. Um, so there's a few populations that I don't love intermittent fasting for, um, something like someone with a missing or irregular cycle, someone struggling with PCOS, um, who PCOS symptoms are stress driven, um, hypothyroid, like again, stress driven. These are all populations where I would not recommend something like intermittent fasting, but I just, as a whole, don't love it for women. I know there are plenty of women that do it and love it and feel great. Truthfully, I do feel great when I fast. Um, you know, but, but I don't love to see women anywhere over like 12 to 14 hours at max. Totally agree with that. That was going to be my um, question. So though, remember like, like your yeah. sleep, your sleep, yeah. Your sleep counts and your fasting. Remember that. So if you're sleeping for eight hours and then like you don't eat until two hours after you wake up, like there's your 10 hour fast right there. Um, but I just don't love to see women much more over that, especially sort towards like 16, 20, especially if it's consistent. Like if, you know, don't, nothing bad is going to happen. If like one or two days a week, you like, oh my gosh, I just, I woke up and started working and I didn't get to eat till 11. Like you're not going to magically, your period's not going to magically go missing, but we're talking about consistently showing the body food scarcity. That is when things can become an issue. And I think it's important to like, understand that what you had basically said is that if you're already in a position where the potential that this adds a stressor might put you into an even riskier category. If you have PCOS, you're having thyroid issues. If you are a endurance athlete, a competitive high intensity athlete, if you're somebody who trains really hard, really often, like those are just situations where you're taking on a lot of stress and if this is something that is the straw that breaks the camel's back, then that might be something that's just, Hey, it's just not worth it. And I think there are going to be people listening to this who might not be in that category and not saying intermittent fasting is totally fine. But I think you put a really good, um, I think 12 to 14 hours is somewhere where that doesn't seem to produce this massive scarcity. This, yeah. this, like if you're talking 16, 18, 20, 22, 24 hours, now we're talking about long, much longer periods. And I think most people, just to temper the conversation and how people respond to this is like, for most people, most people are not, if you're fasting 12 to 14 hours, you're probably fine. Most right. of that time is spent yeah. to sleep. It's probably okay. Yeah. But if you're doing that and you're doing a bunch of these other things in this list, the, the, the drains, right? You have a bunch of drains right. and maybe you're already very lean, which in and of itself can be a stressor. If you're teetering on that, yeah. like underweight category, like now yeah. we're talking about potentially something just not worth layering on top. Uh, I think if you're, in a position where using a 12 to 14 hour fast helps you moderate calories, which in and of itself may, might help you do other things that lead you towards more health, potentially more health. Right. Okay. It's worth a discussion, very contextual, but I think you had a good point of like, is this layering on top of something in a scenario for a person, an avatar of a person's life who this might be the straw that breaks the camel's back or just puts you into right. a much higher stress environment? Yeah. Right. And it is important to know, like there is plenty of research on intermittent fasting that it can help blood sugar and that it can be great yeah, for gut health and great totally. for digestion and autophagy. Like there, there are benefits to it. I'm not saying that, but as a female, I think you really have to consider the cost benefit ratio, right? Like the risk benefit ratio, like sure you'd get this, yep. but if it means sacrificing like your periods and your fertility, then like was better digestion and like autophagy worth it. I don't know. Like that's not a choice I can sure. make for you. So there are benefits, but it's kind of like, do, do the risks outweigh that or do the benefits outweigh the risk and so on. Yeah. And I think in that same vein, just to close it is like, the biggest benefit is going to be your, your ability to control calories. You can get digestive health and autophagy from other things. Like it's you sure. fasting 16 hours is not giving you the autophagy to live another decade. Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, you can get digestive health through a lot of other things. And yes, is it, is it probably better to fast for, I don't know, 10 to 14 hours than to not to wake up every two hours while you're asleep and eat. It's probably better for your digestion to have a break. Sure. Like you said, everything and you're going to get me hopped up here. We can't, we can't go down this road of like, everything's a trade-off. <laughs> everything is a trade-off. Yeah. You have to assess yeah, pros literally. and cons for mm -hmm. yourself and your situation and decide on that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. We're coming up on an hour. I want to take a, a yeah. pre be appreciative of your time. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find you, follow you, consume your stuff, and then uh, I'll let you get out of here. 
Sure. Awesome. So you can find me on Instagram at Joel Samantha. Um, just first name, middle name right there for you. Um, our coaching is level 10 coaching. So if you ever want to check that out, it's level 10 and coaching.co not come. I don't know who owns that, but I'm pissed. They do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, our, our Instagram for level 10 is just at level 10 coaching. Um, so you can always find me there. I'm not on like TikTok or anything cool like that. Um, but maybe dabbling into YouTube in 2021. Ooh, this year. Exciting so stuff. Stay tuned for that. It's either YouTube or a podcast. I'm kind of torn, but I think I prefer being a guest on podcast as opposed to running my own. So I'm going, I think I'm leaning towards the Cool. You, you did. You did great uh, so on yeah. that this time. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you did listen in on Jordan's podcast, please, 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 like find me on Instagram, shoot me a DM. I love, love, love hearing from you guys and hearing that you listened in. So uh, my DMs are always open. Please reach out and let me know if any of this resonated with you or if you guys have any questions. Awesome. Thanks for coming up. It was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you enjoyed it, if you found value, do me a favor and take a screenshot of your phone and post it to your social media. If you do, tag me so I can say thanks. If you ever want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at Jordan Lips Fitness on Instagram, or you can email me, jordanlips at jordanlipsfitness.com, or check out the website, jordanlipsfitness.com. I'd love to chat. Have a great day.